Hmm. What's geogram? I don't know. Maybe it's geogram? How about geogram with A-L Wix? Or is it Al Wix? Just call me Allie. And it's geogram. Welcome to Geogram, the podcast that combines the geography and grammar of the English language. I'm your host, fantasy and young adult author A.L. Wicks. On this podcast, we're filling in the map of the English language with a treasure trove of grammar rules and fascinating facts. You can always find the show notes and transcripts at ploppletop.com geogram. Hello, podcast listeners. We're starting off today with a discussion about soft words like sophomore and sophisticated and their connection to Sophocles. Then we're going to visit the town in America that has the highest percentage of Greek American households and where nearly one in 10 people speak Greek at home. I have another news section today. Amazon censors a book for the first time, as well as the story about it censoring a book, which makes it a censoring of a censoring. And a new book show in the United States is set to replace the Book Expo. Except that I really don't think it's filling that gap because it's virtual. I mean, I I really don't think I'm the only person who thinks that virtual conferences are not conferences and that we really need a different word to describe online non-conferences. Uh, and there's a new niche publisher on the block at the same time that two of the big five are set to become a mega publisher. All of that coming up. I hope you're all enjoying your last couple of weeks of summer before school starts up again. That moment when you're approaching a new school year with new teachers and a new classroom, buying school supplies and checking the fit of last year's school clothes, I think it's just always an exciting time. I got to thinking about the terms we use to indicate the different years of high school or college. We don't use the basic self-explanatory terms like first year or second year. We use terms like freshman and senior, undergraduate, or master's student. Most of the terms are pretty self-explanatory. A freshman sounds like someone who is brand new, fresh on campus. A senior is at the top level of that particular school, and a junior is just one step below. But where does the word sophomore come from? And why are sophomoric and sophisticated used to mean almost completely opposite things, even though they come from the same root word, soft? Who was Sophocles, and did his name have anything to do with the root word? Or was it just a lucky chance of history that he was named Sophocles and happened to write some of the most brilliant pieces of Greek literature of all time? Let's get into it. The word soph, or soph, comes to us from a very long time ago. It comes from the Latin word sophist, which in turn was borrowed from the ancient Greek word sophist. The root soph means wisdom or understanding. In ancient Greek, the term sophist was used for someone who was paid to provide instruction or teaching. It appears to have been in its heyday of use purely to mean a teacher in about the 5th century BC, which is just when Sophocles was born, or near to it, around 497 or 496 BC. However, even though Sophocles was well-educated and wrote plays of a philosophic nature— which examined the psychology of people versus fate, like we see in Oedipus Rex, his name did not give rise to the term the way phobia comes from phobus. Nemesis comes from nemesis. Serial comes from Ceres, who the Greeks believed was the goddess of agriculture. The word fortune comes from Fortuna, who was believed to be a goddess of good luck. And the word music originates with the muses, who were believed to be goddesses of song to the Greeks. 
Instead, Sophocles was given a name that already had a meaning. Soph means wise in Greek, and possibly the word kleos, which refers to fame or glory, one earned by doing things that could be written about and told to others, was added to the end of his name. Sophocles. His own father was named Sophilus, so it appears to have been a family tradition to value education. And Sophocles was not just given a name that meant wisdom. He came from a well-to-do family and was given a very good education, which undoubtedly gave him the ability to write the plays that his name is still known for today. A prime example of wisdom gaining one fame for a very long time, and a complete fulfillment of his name. It seems we're on the right track to understanding the word sophomore, until we find that the second part of the word is based in the Greek word more, which is the same root word that gives us the word moron, which is also why the word sophomoric is synonymous with moronic. Now, we can see pretty clearly that a sophomore essentially means a moron with some wisdom, which just about sums up where the Greeks and some high school teachers consider sophomores to be at in terms of their education. They're gaining wisdom, but they still have one foot in foolishness. Rather than thinking of it as a detrimental word, I see it as an intentional phrase meant to convey the idea that a sophomore has gained some wisdom, but still has more they need to do. I've never really liked how people use the quote, a little wisdom is a dangerous thing, because first, in my opinion, any knowledge gained is better than having none at all. However, there is the danger that if a person gains a little knowledge and thinks that they've mastered a subject, that can be a dangerous thing. But if a sophomore in high school has gained a bit of knowledge as a freshman, and then they return for more knowledge because they know that there's more to it than the little they achieved the previous year, then the word sophomore seems to be intended as a good reminder that a little knowledge is just the beginning and that more is needed. Also, the previous quote is often attributed to Albert Einstein, but it actually appears in Essay on Criticism written by Alexander Pope, an English poet that lived in the 18th century. The full quote from his essay reads, quote, A little learning is a dangerous thing. Drink deep or taste not the pure in spring. There shallow draughts intoxicate the brain, and drinking largely sobers us again. End quote. And that is exactly why a sophomore is a sophomore. It's a reminder that the little you've learned is just that, a little, and to truly obtain a proper and full education requires more study, which will slowly expand your horizons. And the more you learn, the more you'll be sobered by realizing just how much there is to learn. Before I wrap up this section, I wanted to point out some of the uses of the word soft in some other English words and the view they gave us about how people use wisdom or what they believe to be wisdom. Let's start with the word philosopher, which means someone who seeks wisdom or enlightenment. The field of philosophy is often marked as the opposite of science. However, that isn't quite true. Science is the pursuit of truth using physical means, which is useful in physical situations where temperature fluctuations can be tracked or the mineral content of lava makes a difference in the behavior of a volcano or the nutritional needs of a baby need to be met. But science itself starts with philosophy. If you want to run an experiment, first you have to form a hypothesis based on your philosophical reasoning of what you do know and what you don't. And then, if a scientific way of gathering data and isolating variables can be achieved, then you can take your philosophy into the scientific realm. If not, then thinking your philosophy through as carefully as possible, writing it down and allowing other thinkers to examine it with their minds and influence the conclusion with their own thoughts and opinions, that's the best way to come to a philosophical conclusion in the way that science finds conclusions in its own measurements. 
That's why when the founding fathers of America were tasked with creating a government, they looked to the writings of political philosophers of the past, observed the history of how those governments had succeeded, and if they had failed, either immediately or eventually, they tried to figure out why they failed, and then to put in place certain checks and balances to prevent that from happening in America. I know that American Independence Day is past, but we still have Constitution Day coming up on September 17th, so I hope you'll take a moment to read the philosophical structure laid out in the American Constitution and think about how they tried to structure it as best they could. Not perfect, of course not, given the many pushes and pulls from 13 disparate colonies, but as best they could in the time and circumstances they lived in. I wanted to finish up with two more words with a soft root, sophisticated and sophistry. Sophistry is what happens when a person who has learning or quick understanding uses their knowledge to create an argument that they know is fallacious, but they present it as plausible. When a person uses sophistry to gain the point or to manipulate another person or group, they're being disingenuous and deceitful. Sophisticated, on the other hand, is a word used to describe someone with tastes, ideas, and manners that have been refined by education. If a sophomore continues his or her education and becomes more discerning in what he or she really wants, or what is truly a value, then they have graduated from being sophomoric to being sophisticated, with wisdom as well as morals that would prevent the use of sophistry in the manipulative use of philosophy. I just wanted to take a quick moment in between our two educational sections to tell you that we have a Patreon set up for this podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash geogram, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash g-e-o-g-r-a-m. Even if you only pledge a dollar a month, that will help us make sure we get this podcast really rolling and as high quality as possible. As a homeschooling teacher mom, I'm hoping there will be lots of parents who find this to be educational value for their kids and themselves. I hope that even my small news briefs of the book world will be interesting and informative to kids. It's never too early to help your little entrepreneur learn a bit of business lingo. Another way you can help us get a good start is to leave a five-star rating on your podcast app. And thank you. America has dozens of towns that were named for ancient Greek towns or philosophers or Olympians like Athens, Tennessee, or Helena, Montana, or Macedonia, Ohio. But I want to tell you about the town in America that has the highest percentage of Greek Americans and where 8.87% of households speak Greek at home. The town is called Tarpon Springs and is located in Pinellas County in Florida. Pinellas County is the most densely populated county in Florida, and its population alone, somewhere around 980,000 people, is greater than the entire population of the state of Wyoming, the state of South Dakota, of Alaska, of North Dakota, and of Vermont, individually, not together. It's a town surrounded on all sides by water, sitting on the north part of the peninsula that makes up Pinellas County, with the Anclote River carrying even more water through the town, passing Salt Lake and creating swamps, bayous, and coves before reaching the Gulf of Mexico. With its strong Greek presence, there are many restaurants that serve Greek cuisine. The main tourist area is along a road called Dodecanese Boulevard, presumably named after the Dodecanese, which are a group of islands between Greece and Turkey in the eastern Mediterranean Sea. Dodeca basically means 12 in Greek, so a dodecagon is a shape with 12 sides, and the Dodecanese are a group of 12 islands. 
Probably the most notable industry in Tarpon Springs is the sponge industry, as in real sponges from the sea floor. If you spend any time around the docks, you'll see small vessels loaded with sponges, and sometimes you can hire a sponge diver to take you out on his boat and show you how they harvest the sponges by hand. That's done less around the Tampa Bay area, though many places around the Bahamas still have tour guides who will do this sort of thing. My family and I have actually been to Tarpon Springs on a trip that we took to the Tampa Bay, which is partially formed by the peninsula that makes Pinellas County. We spent an entire day at the beach on Honeymoon Island, and I remember finding a piece of coral that had washed up on the beach. We also stopped in a town market in Tarpon Springs, where my husband got some baklava to try, and we saw all sorts of tropical fruit trees for sale in small pots. The architecture was also notably Greek-influenced. If you think of the adobe-like structures with bare, smooth surfaces, sometimes whitewashed and sometimes left a pink or yellow color, you'll see some of that around the Tampa Bay and in the town of Tarpon Springs, especially for churches and other public buildings. I'll see if I can find some pictures from our trip there, which was seven or eight years ago, and I'll post them to Instagram. I know I'm not the only one who's seriously missing in-person book expos and conventions. The virtual ones just aren't fulfilling to me, and I really have no interest whatsoever in in, in attending another online convention. Just like everyone thought that e-readers would take off and that that was the end of print, but then it didn't happen. Virtual conventions are, I hope they don't stick around as the norm. Honestly, I don't think they will because... We still like to be face-to-face with other people. We still like to hold physical books in our hands. And I think that in-person book festivals or expos or conventions are going to come back. There's going to be demand for it. I think it's just a matter of time. Oprah showed up at a virtual U.S. book show recently, and I'm sure that was great. But you know what would have been even better? Being in the same space as Oprah when she showed up at a physical convention. Uh, I know everybody keeps saying that virtual events cost less. And you know why that is? Because from an economic perspective, it's worth less. If, you some, if, if something has less value, you charge less and people are willing to pay less. The cost of putting on an in-person convention, I mean, yeah, sure, it costs more, but it also gives more and is worth more and people are willing to pay more for it. Uh, the Library of Congress has announced that the 2021 National Book Festival will be a mix of in-person and virtual events this year. And it will take place on September 17th to 26th. So that's really exciting, except that no details about the in-person events or much of anything really has been released. And we're barely a month and a half away from it now. So if people are going to have time to book tickets or arrange for hotel rooms, uh, I hope they get things sorted out quickly. If I hear more about it, I'll let you know. If you're able to travel to Germany, the Frankfurt Book Fair will be held October 20th to 24th in person. They have uh, guidelines on COVID-related stuff, and they'll be doing some crowd management things so that it never gets too crowded. But uh, they're at least they're figuring out ways to hold the book fair. Coming up in 2022, though, there is news about some festivals that will be held entirely or at least in large part as in-person events, including the Savannah Book Festival and the U.S. Book Show, which is being put on by Publishers Weekly which was held for the first time this year in 2021, uh, though only in a virtual format. But next year, it's being planned as a mixed virtual and in-person event. So that's pretty exciting. 
Another piece of news, there's a new publisher on the block, and they want to publish books by people that have been rejected by the mainstream publishers due primarily to the cancel culture. It's called the All Seasons Press, and it was founded by Louise Burke and Kate Hartston, both of whom run conservative imprints at other major publishers, including Simon & Schuster, which is actually currently in the process of being acquired by Penguin Random House. That merger just or acquisition just has to be cleared by the U.S. Department of Justice since it will be creating what some people are calling a mega publisher. So two giants are merging into one, another small imprint is born, and the publishing market continues to change just as it always has. Speaking of change, Amazon has finally done it. They censored a book. It has been completely removed. You can't purchase it on Amazon. The listing is completely gone. Not only that, but the book they removed was, up to that point, a bestseller on Amazon, and Amazon had listed and sold it for the past three years without any issues. And on top of that, Amazon's sister media company, The Washington Post, which is also owned by Jeff Bezos, did not report on the removal of the book, which basically means that The Washington Post censored the information about the censoring of the book. Four senators, along with the National Coalition Against Censorship, have expressed concern over Amazon's apparently arbitrary decision. The reply Amazon gave states that Amazon has, quote, chosen not to sell books that frame LGBTQ plus identity as a mental illness. The main concern is that the policy was not in place when the book was removed from Amazon, let alone three years before that when the book originally went on sale. If we start to see more and more of this in the Amazon environment or any other book distributor the way we're seeing in other businesses, it honestly doesn't bode well for either authors or publishers or for the the businesses like Amazon who are censoring books. Anytime a book is censored or taken down, certain people are going to leave that platform, which basically means that Amazon is shooting themselves in the foot. If they make a habit of it, especially if the quote unquote rules for books that are sold end up being stated after a book has sold without issue for months or years, The decision definitely feels arbitrary and disgruntled customers are going to feel that and they're going to do what they do best. They'll find somewhere else to shop and they'll use their dollars to express their displeasure. For authors and writers and their publishers, there will be a little bit less comfortable ease about selling books on Amazon or making them available in Kindle Unlimited. If we have to worry about the mood shifting and a new rule being implemented, maybe even just to take your book off the shelves, it's, it's just not a great thing for the market. But as always, the market will find a way to correct. Uh, new platforms, I'm sure, will emerge from the detritus of censorship, and books will be, continue to be sold somewhere. Coming up next time, going to throw around a few terms and learn where lob, chuck, fling, and other throwing words come from. Something interesting has happened with Wattpad. Until next time, finish a book, leave a review, and pick up another one. You can find me on social media as ALWix or the ALWix, or you can reach me at ALWix at protonmail.com. If you'd like, you can also write to my publisher, Ploppletop Publishing, at contact us at ploppletop.com, and thanks to them for their support. Please take a moment to give this podcast a five star rating and subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. Our theme song is Time for Supper by Golden Age Radio. All other music and sounds are from Epidemic Sound. If you're unable to find this podcast on any podcast app, please drop us a line and let us know so we can make sure it's as widely available as possible. Transcripts and show notes, including links to all news stories and research I reference, are available at ploppletop.com slash geogram. And thanks for listening.